Welcome to Faith City Outreach, where your host, Marina Maria, reaches out to the world to discuss Christian topics and providing biblical solutions, as well as praying for the nations. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The music in this broadcast is provided courtesy of Zapsplat.com. Now, here is your host, Marina Maria. declare the scripture, Zechariah 2.5, over Faith City Outreach, where the Lord says, and I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Welcome to Faith City Outreach. This is Marina Maria with today's special guest, Pamela Christian from Yorba Linda, California. She is an ordained international minister and an award-winning author, as well as a speaker, and a media personality. Thank you, Pamela, for being on Faith City Outreach to share your latest book, Prepare for the Harvest, God's Challenge to the Church Today. Oh, thank you, Marina. I really appreciate being here and having the opportunity to share. I I appreciate it. Pam, when did God touch your heart to write this book, Prepare for the Harvest, God's Challenge to the Church Today, which provides an urgent message to the church today? Mm -hmm. I think it was about October of 2018, which curiously is when my previous book, there's currently five in the series, the one that's previous to this is called Prepare for the Harvest, Confidence in God's End Time Challenges. That book was written because I could see that there were a lot of people starting to live in fear, uh, foreseeing different signs of the times that might be the end of the time, the end of the age. And I didn't want people to have fear because evil is going to increase. We're warned about that in the Bible, that evil will never outpace righteousness. So that book was written to give reassurance to people. And about the time that that was published, October of 2019 then, the Lord began working on my heart about the book that we're talking about today, Prepare for the Harvest, God's Challenge to the Church Today. And the reason for that is I could hear a lot of prophets, a lot of people speaking about the great end-time harvest, which Jesus spoke about, the great white harvest. And I didn't feel, and I don't see the church at large, being prepared. If there was a a great influx of people who come to the faith of Jesus, like we can read about in the Pentecost of the book of Acts, are the churches ready to receive the people? I don't think so, and that's what really moved my heart to write this book. Well, I'm so excited about our discussion today because we are going to um, talk about that. Uh, But first, in your book, you mentioned two types of revivals, a personal one and a corporate one. Can you please explain both types of revivals? Absolutely. A personal revival could be easily um, explained by way of a salvation, an individual salvation. When a person realizes that they are at a distance with God, they don't want to be at a distance with God, they want to have faith in Jesus and be in right relationship with God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they repent. And repent simply means to turn around from your ways that are going away from God and make yourself go back toward God, to agree with God's premises for the best way we should live. That would be a personal uh, personal um, salvation, and it would be a personal harvest uh, or a revival. A corporate revival would be when many people come to the realization that we don't want to be 
removed from God. We want to be in right relationship with God. And they, again, repent and decide to pursue God through faith in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. When does God demonstrate his fresh, outpouring spirit on great numbers of people? When their hearts are right. (laughs) I mean, it gets down to the heart, the matter of the heart. God judges us by way of our hearts. And we're seeing evidences of uh, more and more people, especially during this time of us being sheltering in place with this coronavirus, we are seeing that the churches that are forced to hold their services through the internet are, are receiving increasing numbers of people coming to their broadcasts. Uh, the church is actually growing right now. And I believe this is a, a precursor to the harvest of souls that's been predicted for so very long. Amen. What does America need to do to begin uh, corporate revival? Corporate revival is so important. Individual revival is great, but corporate uh, revival is what moves the hand of the Lord to act within nations. And one of the things I learned as I was researching for the book is there's a group of churches in Florida who have gotten together. What, What they did is they realized that individually they could not solve the problems of their community but collectively they could. So the leaders of this, these churches in Florida, in the Fort Lauderdale area, decided that they would get together, they would pray, they would seek the Lord, and they discovered that each church had their own abilities to address different actual cultural and social issues. Uh, one might, church might be better equipped for helping people who are drug addicts and another one for restoring broken marriages, broken families, and so on. So these churches band together under a banner called Church United. And by using the gifts and talents that God has given to each respective church, collectively, they are making huge strides and differences within their communities. This is corporate revival. What historical pattern do we see when God provides a revival to people? The historical patterns are all throughout the Old Testament, especially, and I've got New Testament examples as well. But um, what what the pattern is, is that the people fall away from God. And once they fall away from God, God allows them to live according to their own choices and to suffer the consequences of their choices until such time that they don't want to live that way any longer, and they repent, and they cry out to God in return. When they do that, God always has the promise that he will restore them. Restoration is what God's all about. So he always reinforces his promises that if we repent, he will restore us. And this is exactly the pattern that that we're seeing, in my estimation, beginning to take place right now in our American culture. Why do you think personally that it becomes sometimes a a cycle that we repent and then go return to God, we repent and then return to God? I think it's just a matter of our flesh, actually, Marina. Um, When a person becomes born again, that is, they place their faith in Jesus Christ, as you know, but maybe not all the listeners know, they are transformed That's why it's called born again, because, backing up, when we're naturally born, we are born at enmity or enemies with God. Because of the fall of man, the original man, the original woman rejected God. They rebelled and they rejected God. And every human being born ever since has been born with that same naturally, spiritually dead condition. But when a person realizes their condition and they no longer want to be in that, they do want to be restored in a right relationship with God. 
and they place their faith in Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit comes in and replaces that naturally born spirit with a new spirit, a new holy type spirit that has never existed before. And we are a new creature in Christ. So when we repent, when we choose to have a relationship with God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ, that's when we see the shifts and the changes begin to take place individually, and then it becomes um, a movement, if you will, into the culture one by one, which is what Christ wants us to do. He wants us to share the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. So one by one, we see the increase of people who have faith in Jesus. But first, we have to be the example. Absolutely. And getting back more specifically to your question, even though we are born again, we have a new spirit, we still have our natural world that we live in, which is replete with sinful ways, with the enemy of God, who is known as Satan, roaming about, seeking what he can destroy and devour. So we still have our flesh, that is our bodies, we still have our natural lusts and tendencies that we are we are supposed to cooperate with God and the Holy Spirit and learn to have victory over our flesh, which is not always easy. Uh, it can be done. God would never ask anything of us, but what he doesn't also equip us and make it possible. But we do fall back into our ways. Again, we see this again, a time and again in the Old Testament where people say, yes, yes, God, we want to obey God. We want to remain with God. And slowly through maybe intermarrying with other cultures, um, idol worship, different things, slowly they fall away until they get to such a place that they don't want to be there any longer and they return to God. And it's a vicious cycle, a very vicious cycle that we can see from the beginning of time. Yes, and of course, um, I would think too that it'd be easy to fall away when you're not praying or or when you're we're not in the Word. Yeah, yeah. Fellowship is key. And uh, I heard a story, and I'm not going to do it complete justice, but basically the story was when you take a coal from a burning fire and you set it apart from the fire where it is no longer attached to the main source, slowly that coal burns cold. And that's what happens to us. That's why we need the fellowship. God created us with the desire to have community. And it's when we are in community, when we have accountability, when we have um, reasons to want to grow in our faith and grow in our knowledge and grow in our understanding, we will see a greater victory over the flesh. What a great example, Pam. Pam, I'm curious to know how were the unbelievers responding to past corporate revivals? And that's a good question because it's going to be two camps. And then the way the Bible refers to it is sheeps and goats. The sheep are those who are called and belong to God. They don't maybe follow the Lord at the present time of any kind of a revival. Uh, but when the revival breaks out, the sheep do respond. The goats, not so much. And I get the picture with your question of the days of Noah. Years and years and years it took him and his family to build the ark. And during the time he was building the ark, he was providing warning, warning of what was coming. Judgment is coming if you don't repent. And the people didn't, as we read about. And in God's response, he brought upon a worldwide flood. And those who willfully, continually to reject God found themselves drowned in the flood, while Noah and his family, the righteous people, the only righteous people that were on earth at the time, were spared. Right. What a powerful example. That is so true. So true. In your book, you also mention, as stated in the introduction, 
many people are crying out for the end time great revival to come. However, I see little being done to prepare for this in, in terrible time. Please give us specific examples about how we should spiritually and personally prepare for this great and challenging time because I know that the purpose of your book is to prepare the church for what God is soon to do. Right. You know, it's, it's human nature that we want the glory of things, we want the benefit of things without understanding or recognizing that we need to go through a process to get there. Um, it's the process of going through pain and suffering <clears throat> that allows us to come to a point of victory and, and overcoming. The, we want to see a lot of people come to Christ, and that's a good desire. But we need to understand there's going to be a time of preparation leading up to that where God is going to be making sure our hearts are being checked. There's a, a heart audit, if you will, where God is revealing to us the things that need to be changed. And that is not only in our own hearts, but the way our hearts are demonstrated through the ways we live our lives. So there will be a cultural shift out of a changed heart that takes place. And that's painful. Discipline is always painful. but even as loving parents, we discipline our children. It's the discipline that allows us to realize right and wrong and to make a choice. So are you saying that right now is such a critical time that we need to examine our hearts? Absolutely. And it's interesting you say that because the first book in the series, and the series is called Faith to Live By, the first book is entitled, or titled, Examine Your Faith, Finding Truth in a World of Lies. And that whole book is about a personal examination of our hearts and what we believe, why we believe it, because the nature of deception is that the individual is unaware of their condition. That's the nature of deception. The person is unaware. So unless we intentionally examine what we believe and why we believe it, unless we intentionally humble ourselves and allow the Lord to help examine our hearts before him, we won't know the things that are preventing us from the victories that Christ died to give us. So we will continue in our ways that will be destructive ultimately. And along with that, Pam, I'm sure it's also very important to check our thoughts, mm -hmm. our attitudes, and our words and our deeds. Absolutely. Uh, something as simple as unforgiveness or bitterness in our, and it can prevent us from walking in the benefits and the victory that God wants us to have. Amen. There's another area in your book where you state that people do not really understand that revivals include remedial judgment corrective judgment upon groups of people. Can you please explain and give an example of remedial judgment? Right. Remedial judgment would be discipline, loving discipline. Um, remedial, remedial judgment is corrective action on God's part. And I think of um, Jonah, who ran the other way. God asked him to go to Nineveh and tell the people <laughs> if they repent, he will restore them. That was God's promise. But Jonah had such a heart condition against the Ninevites that he went the opposite direction. And mm. he ended up being swallowed by a great fish and lived in that fish for three days. So that was a remedial judgment upon Jonah. And it was um, uh, actually what happened was Jonah's disobedience then being made known to the Ninevites, put the fear of God in the Ninevites, and they repented. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, do you think that's a lot like us, 
that we uh, want to um, hide away from being corrected? Oh, absolutely. I think the Apostle Paul said that no discipline is pleasant at the time. Uh, I, when I was a child, I didn't like getting spanked, and I certainly don't like getting spanked by God spiritually, <laughs> right? Exactly. But I've had a whooping or two, and when I realize my God is right, I am wrong, and I repent, I come into agreement with Him, the restoration elevates me so much higher than what I was in my disobedience. It's glorious. Right, but how do we get to that that uh, understanding and also that appreciation that that's what it provides us? Uh, going through it a time or two, when, again, when the Lord disciplines us, it's always because he wants to restore us. So he does it in a way that's going to give us every opportunity to see the truth about ourselves and the truth about God and decide to embrace him more fully. <clears throat> Excuse me. And along with this, when um, I have often heard that um, when we hear about the convictions of the Holy Spirit, many people kind of like don't want to hear that. Right. There's a natural, again, a natural tendency in us from birth that we are, that we reject God. We inherited that from Adam and Eve. And until we go through enough circumstances of life where we are willing by our own choice, our own will to choose God instead of our own ways, we will continue in our own ways. And the Bible is very clear that God will allow us to be, to suffer the decisions of our, our, our heart. He will allow us to experience the ultimate conclusion of our decisions. Some will return to God and some won't. What does it take for, let's just say, some people return to God a lot more quickly than others? Some have to go through so many circumstances and others don't. Why do you think this happens? I think that has to do with the individual, uh, the individual's upbringing, the experiences of life the individual has had. There are things in life that if we don't have truth, if, if we didn't have nurturing parents, if we had harsh parents, that could put us on a bent to see God that way. So there's a lot of variables that cause each individual to respond to God at different times in their lives and in their own way. Since the word judgment is not a pleasant word, people like to hear, Pam, do you think that if they knew judgment was coming after calling for a revival that they wouldn't desire a revival anymore? Um. I'm not sure all of what you were thinking with that question, but here's the process that I think is important for us to understand. Just as loving human parents discipline their children to, for, the, for the child's own good, so does God discipline his children. So remedial judgment really ought to be looked at as the type of discipline that a loving parent instills upon their child. There are seven types of judgment that we can learn about in the Bible. And the ultimate is the great white throne judgment where we won't have a second chance. That what, Where we find ourselves at that point will determine our destiny. That's why it's so important that we do examine what we believe and why we believe it, because what we believe determines our eternal destiny. You know, it's interesting. Most people, even if they're atheists, have some sense that we as human beings have a, an eternal spirit. And when I speak to people who don't know Jesus— and I appeal to their 
their innate senses that, that we are eternal, that there's a desire to have a purpose in life, that there's a desire to be personally significant, that there's a desire to be loved, there's a desire to be in community. These are all innate desires that God put within us so that we would be reliant upon these desires to find him. And when we don't find him and we return, we turn to other things in the world to try to satisfy these conditions, this is when we begin suffering the ways of the world and find ourselves farther and farther falling away from God. Why is it important for America to have a revival? <laughs> I would say just look at the condition that we're in today. I can't speak for other parts of the world because I'm an American and this is the only place I've ever lived. But America in my lifetime has changed radically. I was just sharing this with my daughter, my grown daughter. When I was a little girl and I wore patent leather shoes and bobby socks and little petticoats, all the businesses were closed on Sundays because our culture had a reverence for God. Mm -hmm. Today, we don't have a reverence for God. We don't even have a reverence for our president. It's deplorable what's happened in yes. our culture, in our American culture, in just my lifetime. And with this, I believe God has given us over. For example, we took prayer out of school. Children were no longer taught creation. The schools instead teach evolution as a fact instead of a theory. People have been steeped in this kind of indoctrination that has caused them to have no hope. Because if we're from evolution, we have no real beginning and we have no ending. So what purpose is there in life? The hopelessness and the despair that comes out of this kind of a worldview is what Jesus is calling us to see. It's what is what revival will help us realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, not the ways of the world. Right. That we need return to our first love, return mm. to him. Are revivals occurring in some places of the world right now? Yeah, I hear that they are. And I hear that in many of the third world countries, people are actually having visions of Jesus in various ways. Um, and I think that our country, America, has been blessed with so much wealth and prosperity and um, freedoms and independence that we lost sight of God. You know, I, I think of it like a, a light switch. When a light is on, it's full bright, the whole room is filled with the brightness. But let's say that that light switch is a dimmer switch. Mm -hmm. And slowly and slowly the light is decreased until ultimately the light is not there. It's only darkness that we see. When we are at that point, that's the time that most people cry out to God. You mentioned that revivals are happening in third world countries, and I have heard that Brazil, some of the streets, and I'm not sure exactly uh, the specific location in Brazil, but I have heard and saw the, a video in Brazil and also Italy are experiencing revivals. Why do you think third world countries are having revivals and are, and we're not having them first. I, I think it gets back to what I, I only intimated, that America has had so much prosperity that we trust in ourselves instead of God, whereas third world countries need to seek God for their daily sustenance, their food, their clothing, their shelter. Um, third world countries have been greatly oppressed by their governments, and we haven't suffered that yet in America. And I hope we don't. It's, it's my hope that in urgent the times are that we need to prepare ourselves for the harvest. And by having a harvest of souls, we can divert the judgments. Um, I'm praying that people like myself with this kind of a message on their heart will become more commonplace. And we can see 
um, the restoration of people's souls and the restoration of the church in America. Amen. This is Marina Maria from Faith City Outreach, and I'm speaking with Pamela Christian from Yorba Linda, California. She is an ordained international minister and an award-winning author. Thank you so much, Pamela, for being on Faith City Outreach and to share your latest book, Prepare for the Harvest, God's Challenge to the Church Today. Pamela, in your book, you mention intercession and repentance as important uh, parts in a revival. And you also mentioned that there are some examples in scripture where intercessory prayer brought relief from judgment. Can you please share more about this? Yeah, I think two very uh, well-known examples begin first with Moses and the Exodus. Um, Moses led the people through from Egypt, through the Red Sea, on to the, the pathway that would lead to the promised land. And if you recall, Moses at one point went up Mount Sinai where he had interaction with God. Mm-hmm. And when he returned to mm-hmm. the valley where the people were, uh, in only a 40-day period of time from great elation where the people were saying, yes, we will serve God. Yes, we will do whatever you say, Moses. Yes, we will serve God. In the 40 days that Moses was on Mount Sinai, the people created a golden calf yes. and began idol worship. Mm -hmm. Just 40 days after seeing all the miracles of God to deliver them from such serious slavery, 400 years of slavery. So it was Moses' intercession, because God was angry, God was ready to get rid of these people, but it was Moses' intercession that brought God to maybe not change his mind, I can't completely address that, but he stayed his judgment at the very least. Another example that didn't have such a good outcome is where Abraham interceded for Lot and the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you remember the story, Abraham asked God, if there were 50 righteous people in the city, would you still destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And God said, no. And Abraham asked, if there were 45 righteous people in the city, would you destroy the city? And God said, no. Abraham got it down from 45 to 40 to 30 to 20 to 10 And God said, if there were 10 righteous people in the city, I would not destroy the city. But the city was destroyed because there wasn't even 10. How should Christians be praying about our upcoming revival? Soberly. I mean, it's very serious. We need a revival. Just look at what's going on in our world today. The the reports of human trafficking, the reports of serious drug cartel, the Mm -hmm. the failure of the family, the the failure of respect for law and order and civility, even the increase of bullying, all these things are evidences of how far we've come from God and how, and I put it this way, there is a whole generation of people who are going to hell in a handbasket that's been woven by the church. And I say that because Jesus said to us with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, that we who have the truth are to share the truth with those who don't have it. We are to make disciples and teach people in all nations so that they could have the opportunity to come to faith in Christ and to be saved, to be redeemed from the ways of this world. So if we are realizing that We are all on the path to destruction, and Christians are the ones who've been charged with sharing the truth that we've been blessed to have. Is it any wonder that in Peter we read that judgment begins with the house of the Lord? Where else would it begin? 
God commissioned us to share the truth that we've been blessed to find, and we haven't done such a great job. So no wonder judgment begins with the house of the Lord. So are you saying that really in the church, the world is just, the church is a reflection of the world and the world is a reflection of the church? In our culture in America, that's pretty much what we have. We don't have the church standing out as a standard of righteousness or a standard of morality. The church today, by our American culture, is thought of as deplorable, as we've heard more than once. The church is thought to be irrelevant. The Bible is considered to be irrelevant. Well, why is that? It's because the church abdicated her responsibilities. So judgment will begin with the church, but God is not going to let his bride fail. So we are at a time when we read from the book of Revelation, the bride must make herself ready. And I believe the the urgency of our times is greater than most people realize. You mentioned in your book, with these last days of revival, we will witness various people coming to Jesus, seeking the local church to help disciple and guide them. Churches need to be prepared to help people with substance addiction, people with pornography addiction, with um, dysfunctional families, people from criminal lifestyles, people suffering domestic violence, people in serious financial condition, people who are homeless. Are you saying that all churches need to be prepared to help all these people? Collectively, yes. All churches need to be prepared to help all of these people. But as I've shared with the example of the Church United in Florida, not every church is equipped to take care of each one of these issues. Right. But collectively, and that's what God wants. He wants us to have unity. And I've seen so much competition among churches and church leadership. It really, it burdens my heart. Right. Because what we are to have is unity. And if we have the unity, we will be able to do, the the Bible says, we will be doing greater things than what Christ did. So, yes, the churches collectively are to be in position to handle these problems. But what I see is that the the individual churches um, are not thinking this broad. And I'm I'm, I'm talking with a broad brush. There are churches who are doing excellent jobs. But overall, gauged by the condition of our culture, the church has not done the job it needs to do. People from other walks of life need to feel welcomed by the church. But in, in the, as I've written, people feel judgment by the church. They feel excommunicated by the church. They feel rejected by the church. That's just wrong. And the church is going to have to be disciplined and experience remedial judgment because of it. What if uh, the churches or some churches can't be able to help all these people? If you mean, what if individual churches can't help all these people? Then I say get together with other churches in the community and do like the people in Florida did. Decide who has what gifts and talents and experiences. Divvy up the responsibilities. Um, it's, It's pretty much that simple. That's really interesting that you say that because by doing that, you would have to partnership with another church, right? right? Right. And that's also another issue that we're dealing with right now with the with the body of Christ is that, you know, we see the division between um, leaders with one church to another and the competition and the lack of willingness to partner up with other churches. 
Right. When I talked to one of the people who were involved with the Church United out of Florida, the way she said it is we laid down our logos, our individual corporate logos. We laid down our egos and we band together under wanting to serve Jesus. You know, we read in the book of Revelation that there are seven different church cities and each one of those churches were unique. They were different. God addressed each church according to their weaknesses and their strengths. And there was one church Church of Laodicea, that was really in, quote-unquote, hot water. <laughs> now, um, you, you mentioned, or the lady had told you that she lays down their egos. So that tells me that there's pride. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Human pride is one of our strongest pulls uh, away from God. As we read about in Genesis, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eye were the three conditions that uh, the enemy of God, Satan, appealed to to cause Adam and Eve to reject God and to choose their own ways instead. And without realizing it, they thought they were choosing their own ways, but what they really did was to choose the ways of the devil. And uh, it reminds me in James 4, 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's another passage that we really ought to be um, focusing on, meditating on. And many of us are familiar with 2 Chronicles 7.14 because it's been used in the National Day of Prayer so often. But I want to focus on the verse that precedes it. So we're talking about 2 Chronicles 7.13 and 14, which reads, and this is God speaking, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locust to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, Mm -hmm. like coronavirus, Mm -hmm. send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Amen. So we see that humility is... Definitely key. Pam, why is it um, so important to remember to invite the unchurched to church, especially during revival times? Well, you know what's interesting is in the studies that I've done, uh, he rejects Christianity and rejects the Bible. They still want the truth. They still want to live their life on the basis of truth. In fact, when I speak, which is my most favorite thing to do, is to speak in person to groups of people, which may be a while (laughs) considering the coronavirus, Uh, But when I speak, one of the first questions I ask is, who in this room wants to live your life on the basis of a lie? And no one ever raises their hand to that question, which, Marina, is extremely revealing. It means that universally, everybody wants to live in truth and not a lie. That means universally, we all believe that truth is preferred over deception or lies. And that reveals universally, We all have an innate moral compass that allows us to determine what is good and what is bad. That's true. Very, very true. In uh, your last chapter, Pam, Pam, uh, you say, it's actually called, excuse me, uh, Become Workers of the Harvest Revival. You mentioned about the signs and evidence of a true revival. Can you share an example of a true revival? Absolutely. Um, I mentioned, we've been talking about it, it always starts with the, uh, with the heart. 
You know, a revival can be sparked by just one person. We read the, the prophets, especially the minor prophets of the Old Testament, and we see that God has a prophet who has a heart for God. And it's the prophecies and the warnings and the intercessory prayer of these prophets that turn the hearts of men. So we've got patterns for spiritual renewal, and it always starts with the heart. Um, and that's it's important for us to understand that one person, and we see this with the Azusa revival and the different revivals of modern times, one person was the spark that God used to impact large numbers of people. In your paragraph labeled Responding to the Holy Spirit, you wrote, we should be seeking Jesus, asking for a revival because of the condition Okay, let me reread it again. We should be seeking Jesus, asking for a revival because of the condition of the church, not for the sake of experiencing the Holy Spirit. Can you please explain this? Yeah, there's a lot of people who, in fact, we see it in the New Testament, a lot of people who were uh, enamored and wanted the gifts, the things that Jesus was able to do, the healing the people, the letting the blind see, the miraculous gifts. So there are a lot of people who want the gifts, but they don't necessarily want Jesus. And again, this is a, a, a point of greed, a point of mm. empowerment, personal empowerment. Um, I, I heard a story by Haddon Robinson. He talked about him and his brother being so elated when their father came home from work and that they had this routine where the boys would jump up on their father's lap after he got seated in his easy chair and the dad would pull out the coins that are in that were in his pocket and he would toss the coins up into the air and the boys were free to catch as many as they could and once all the coins were caught they would scurry off and go buy an ice cream or some such thing but Haddon Robinson explained that later he learned that his dad always had a foreboding sense that the boys were more excited to get the coins than they were to be with the father. Mm. That kind of reminds me too about when you hear people chasing the blessings instead of chasing God. Right, right. And isn't it, wasn't it Jesus who said a wicked and perverse generation seeks after signs and wonders? It, it grieves the heart of the father if people are seeking mm -hmm. after the signs and the wonders uh, without wanting to know the source. And talking about grieving, it aggrieves the Holy Spirit. Pam, how should we be responding to the Holy Spirit? Um, in truth, if, we, if, it's, if it's actually honest, if we're being honest when we say we want to live our life on the basis of truth, then we should be on a determined quest to discover truth. And it may be more difficult to find truth in our culture today than at any time in the past because it's been so obscured. Mm -hmm. But it is, we are able to find it, and God wants us to find it. That's what, why Jesus came. That's part of why Jesus came, is so we could discover truth of who God is and the truth about ourselves and to have faith in Christ to be redeemed to God the Father. It's uh, imperative that we are as honest as we can be with ourselves, especially in a light that most people do believe we are eternal. Do you think that sometimes we don't invite the Holy Spirit in every part of our lives? Yeah, absolutely. Many of us try to compartmentalize um, our relationship with God, and we want to continue in some sinful ways. But a person who is genuinely born again 
will have tendencies of remorse over what they've done. But the interesting thing, Rena, is that the first time we compromise, it's the most difficult because we're that close to the Lord. But the third, the fourth, the fifth time we compromise, it becomes easier and easier. And that's the Mm -hmm. gradual falling away that we see the pattern of all throughout the history of humanity. And as we've been discussing, God will give us over to our own choices until such time as we cry out to him. Sadly, as we can read in the book of Revelation, there will be still some who intentionally reject God and refuse him. And they will find themselves ultimately at the great white final judgment when they have no second chance. And God ultimately wants to be invited in every part of our lives. Absolutely. There's no small area in our lives that he does not want to be a part of. Absolutely. Just as Jesus said when he was praying in in the Gospel of John that he and the Father are one, he, Jesus, is very desirous that we, his people, are one with him, that we would likewise be one with the Father. Amen. Pam, what does it mean to be a worker of the harvest that you mention in your book? Simply, it means one who is so convinced of the promises of God, all of them. The promises of God include who he is, an understanding of who Jesus is, an understanding of who we are, an understanding of what we can have through faith in Christ. And when we become aware of that and our spirit is transformed There should be nothing else we want to do except to be busy about our Father's business. So if a Christian, a truly born-again Christian, finds him or herself continually attracted to a sin, that's a stronghold. They Mm -hmm. have to recognize it. It's a stronghold. And it's something that they can be be freed from. And how how are they free from it? They have to, first off, realize that it is a stronghold and they want to be freed from it. And then through prayer and seeking the Lord and in inviting the Holy Spirit to provide the power, because we can't do it on our own. It's not by our might or strength. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We yes. can be freed from any and all bondages. Um, there are so many things in life that people are in bondage to. In fact, you mentioned them when people are you know, addicted to pornography or um, uh, abuse different chemicals and substance abuse. Uh, There are so many things that people are attracted to that are strongholds. There are also strongholds that come from our families of origin, where there are patterns of sin that we continue in only because we're familiar with them. I lived Mm -hmm. like that for a while. My family was so dysfunctional and was alcoholic and had so many problems within it that I gravitated in my adult life toward the very same things, even though I didn't realize they were so bad for me. And that's what most of us do. We, we've, we are sheep. <laughs> we follow in <laughs> patterns. And it's not until there's some sort of a crisis or a severe, severe interruption that we can see the truth that allows us to then choose, oh, do I want to continue in this pattern or do I want the better path? And you just brought up a really good example because you said it's not until a crisis happens, which is what's happening now mm-hmm. worldwide. This crisis, not until a crisis, which this is what God is calling us to do. Absolutely. When we are complacent, we are happy, we are 
we're fed, we're, we're clothed, we have homes and security, we have good jobs. We don't see the need for God. We become self-sufficient. And when we become self-sufficient, God is displaced. And when God is displaced for any period of time, he's a jealous God. Exactly. He's going to do what it takes to get yes. our attention and to restore us unto himself. Just like what he's doing now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you, worldwide. it's worldwide. That's Worldwide, I, yes. Yeah, that's something I hope we're all grasping. This is not just a single nation. This is worldwide. Exactly. And you brought up the promises of God. I don't know how many promises he has, but I know he has probably hundreds in the Bible. And he's a promise keeper. Absolutely. And just like that song says, he's a promise keeper. He's the way maker, the miracle worker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of people <clears throat> in the world today, <clears throat> evidenced by our culture, I, again, I'll speak to America, they don't know God that way. They don't know God as a loving God. They don't know God as anything other than an imagination. Many people think that all religions are equal and all religions lead to the same God in the same heaven. Uh, This is, again, deceptions and lies of the enemy of God that he has used to keep people from discovering God. And the interesting thing is that many, many people don't even believe that there is a Satan, that there is a literal God or a literal Satan. Now, think of the strategy in that. If Satan, Mm. the enemy of God, can deceive people about his very existence, then look how he can run rampant without being detected. Exactly. That is so true. And I did read that part um, about people um, basically mixing different religions or different components of different religions into their belief system into their lives so that was really interesting that you read that and you know what Pam I have to admit before I came to Christ was it 13 years ago that's exactly what I did Mm -hmm. a lot of people do and in fact Marina it was an article that I read by ABC News entitled no I say entitled that's the wrong term it titled Americans are surprisingly flexible about matters of religious faith Mm-hmm. And I thought I would read that we don't mind having people of different faiths living in our country. Not what I read. I read that very prominent people, people in positions of leadership and influence, were proudly taking different tenets of different religious beliefs and creating a belief of their own preference. And there was even names for them. If it was Christianity and Islam, it's Chrislam. Or if it was Buddhism and Judaism, it was Buju. And as I'm reading this article with my years of experience in Bible and knowing God, my heart broke and I was outraged. I was Mm -hmm. so upset, and I sat down to write what I thought was going to be an op-ed piece to the ABC News article, but as I was writing it, and you should have seen my fingers flying on that keyboard, I was so angry, as I was writing it, the Lord whispered, it's going to be a book, and I'm like, okay, Lord, that's fine, it can be a book, and I'm still typing away, (laughs) and then as I'm typing away, he says, it's going to be more than one book, okay, Lord, (laughs) fine, and that's how this book series, Faith to Live By, was birthed. I never, ever planned on being an author. In fact, I never planned on doing many of the things that God has allowed me to do. I haven't aspired toward them. He's, he instead has wooed me and shown me that this is a path that would be fulfilling. And that's what's interesting. When we are doing what God created us to do, when we are living according to our God-created purpose, 
that's the only time we can ever find genuine personal fulfillment. Yes. When we live in anything less than that, we will always be frustrated. Exactly. I agree. And as long as you maintain with what God is, um, you know, um, what he's leading you to do, you will have, it, it, it just seems like the, your, the Holy Spirit has just become stronger and stronger because you're obeying, you know, what God is having you do. Yes. Absolutely. And it's just, it's, it's just gets stronger and stronger. But going back to your topic of, you know, inner, um, let's say in mixing up religions, mm-hmm. I have to um, give a word to, or have to share, let's just say for whoever is listening right now to this topic, that whoever is doing that, just like what I did is I used different components, different beliefs from the Aztec religion or the Aztec gods. And then this was even prior to being a Christian. Now, once I accepted Christ, then that was the conviction there. Boom. It's just totally changed completely. Right. And that's when you're really, and that's when you've had enough. Like you said, you talked about the crisis, just like you were having a crisis now, is that when you have that crisis, it actually brings so much fruit if you allow it to. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's the the age old saying that there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. And that's because even atheists will be crying out to God for help when there's a real crisis at hand. Exactly. Pamela, what encouraging words can you share with the listeners to be a worker of the harvest? Well, I think first off, it would be to explore for yourself if you truly want to live in truth. And if you truly want to live in truth, the next step would be to examine your own heart to discover what are you following that is deceptive? What are you following that is that could lead to death. For example, a lot of people in deviant lifestyles, uh, st- statistics show they have shorter lifespans than people who live in, say, heterosexual marriages. There are a lot of things in our culture that's been accepted that actually leads to death. Certainly abortion is one. So mm. what beliefs are you carrying? What beliefs are you holding on to that lead to destruction? What's the eventual conclusion? And if it leads to destruction, it's not of God, and it's not truth. It's from the enemy, who's the father of all lies. If we really want to live in truth, then let's take the time to examine what we believe and why we believe it, to take the time to learn about this God that we we Christians proclaim, to learn about Jesus. Was he just a good teacher, or was he the son of God who came to redeem the world? Take the time to seek the truth that you desire to live in. And once you discover that truth, I can guarantee you, and not because of me, but because of God, that you will then find yourself with a new life and a new purpose. And you will realize that you have loved ones and family members all around you who are destined to hell. And unless you share the truth that you have within you at this point, now that you're born again, now that you've discovered truth, unless you share what you have, These people are going to hell. It's the most unloving thing to do not to share the reason for the hope within us. It's the most unloving thing not to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so to become a worker of the harvest first, we need to be part of God's harvest. And once we are, 
as I said a moment ago, I don't think that there's anything we can do except be busy about our Father's business, which is to share the gospel and bring all of those who belong to God to the family of God. Amen. Pamela, how can people purchase your book, Prepare for the Harvest, God's Challenge to the Church Today? All of my books are available at all of our retail Christian bookstores, which I say first because I think we need to very much support our local Christian bookstores. Uh, my books are also available through my website, which is Pamela Christian Ministries, plural, PamelaChristianMinistries.com. And of course, many online retailers have my books as well. Yes, you have many books that um, you've also written before. Yes, this is actually book five in the Faith to Live By series. Uh, I mentioned the first one. There's books in between. And believe it or not, Marina, even though I never thought I would ever write a single book, book six is in the process. (laughs) Amen. And can you tell us a little bit about what's it going to be about? Yes, the working title, and I hope to be the final title, is Come Back to God. And it's an outreach campaign. It's not just a book. It's a manual for a movement. I've already gone to the trademark of the name Come Back to God. The desire for me that, that the Lord has put in me is for, for me to help people have a vehicle to do what he's called us to do, which is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Come Back to God will be a campaign, not just a book, but a campaign so that people will have some tools and equipping that they need to share the gospel in their local communities, in their regions, in their states, and ultimately the nation. Beautiful. I'm already joining the campaign, Pamela. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Pamela, for being on Faith City Outreach and for sharing your prophetic book, which provides an urgent message to the church today. Thank you so very much. I'm so appreciative. Absolutely. Lord God, the Father of all, the Creator Jesus of all, the Holy Spirit, the power of all, we appeal to you. I thank you so much that you, in your wisdom and in your love, came and took on human form. You lived the human existence. You know what we experience as human beings on this earth. And you have provided a way for us to escape the ravages of this world. You provided a way for us to be restored to you through faith in Jesus. Thank you that you understand we are frail, we are but dust. But thank you for giving us the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Those of us who place our faith in Jesus are given the deposit of your Holy Spirit to come and indwell us and to teach us about our new life in Christ. Lord, our nation, our world needs you like I've never seen before in my lifetime. Mm. And I seek you, Lord, that you would, in your discipline, in your loving discipline, get hold of many, many, many hearts that as we talked about, the spark of just one person would be igniting many, many, and we will see revival, not for the sake of revival, but for the sake of glorifying you, God, for the sake of us being restored unto you, for our rejoicing that our name is now written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and we have an eternal hope and a future through faith in Christ that we wouldn't have otherwise. Lord, Let it be so. I pray that everyone listening to this broadcast is stirred with everything they've heard and that you, Holy Spirit, will take it from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Faith City Outreach can be heard daily, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. Arizona time and 7 p.m. Eastern time. Faith City Outreach thanks Global Women Christian Chamber of Commerce Embassy and Four Winds Ministries for being supporters. Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. You have been listening to Faith City Outreach with Marina Maria as she interviews Christian pastors and leaders to discuss scriptures and topics affecting the Christian community and to pray for the nations. If you need to contact Marina Maria, please email her at fcoprogram at gmail.com. That email again is fcoprogram at gmail.com. Until next time, Marina wants to remind you from Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The music used in this broadcast is used courtesy of Zapswat.com.